0: Let's um, begin our message today, but before I do, I want to say a word about vision, Um, because is the clicker up the back, guys, or have I left it at my seat? So some of you have been asking, when are you going to talk about your vision? When are you going to talk about your vision? So by by way of introduction this morning into our message time, let me offer a couple of comments about that. My first few months here are all about building a platform. ...that will serve us for the long term. So I I long for Access to be set up with like a 10-year direction. So I'm not thinking short term here, thank you. I'm thinking long term. And uh, in order to do that, we need to really lay a good, solid foundation. And what that looks like is me listening to God and me listening to you. And that hasn't happened in its fullness yet... So before I can even think about what might need changing, I need to listen for a period of time. G.K. Chesterton says this, Don't pull down a fence until you first know why it was built. I'll move forward to the right slide if I can find it here. Don't pull down a fence until you first know why it was built. So I'm not going to be pulling down anything until I first understand and honour the history of what is here. So we can be obsessed sometimes with the front window of a car, that we forget that there's more to a car than a front window, right? We can be so obsessed about where we're going next that we realise we actually need a healthy car in order to get anywhere. And so I'm really interested in these first few months together of building a, a solid foundation, particularly as it relates to culture, because whilst future plans are great, I like what Peter Drucker offers us with this statement, culture eats strategy for breakfast. What he means is the best made plans are actually useless if we don't have a healthy relational culture together. So if we miss healthy relationships, if we miss good communication skills, if we miss conflict resolution skills, if we don't understand each other and the roles we play, our capacity to work together and forgive and be a team is severely impeded. So that's what I'm interested in, just building a solid foundation of culture so that we can dream forward together about the long term. Because it's my belief that healthy things grow. So if we're healthy, the growth, to a large extent, will take care of itself. So we're going to take further to get there. But sometimes we go slower in certain points in order to go faster later. Okay. So hopefully that um, alleviates some of the pressure. Some of you might be feeling in that and that I'm not commenting on that yet. But we will, we will get there. And and I welcome those conversations. I welcome you to come to me and say, hey, I sense God saying about this, about our future. Bring those conversations to me. I want to listen. I want to hear. So let's pray and then work into our scripture together in 1 Corinthians 12. So Father, we thank you that you have not left us without instruction, that you have not left us blind, that you have given us your word, And we take it today and we receive it as the living Word of God. And so we sit under it today, we sit in submission to it, and then we stand, we ask that your Spirit would give us capacity to live it out, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the last few weekends, we've been considering this big idea of living together as a community of God, living life together. And we're going to 1 Corinthians 12 today, but we spent three weeks in Ephesians 4. So a quick review of where we've been if you haven't picked up on those messages. Week 1 was all about guarding the unity that God has already created. We are guardians of it. And we guard unity by not engaging in gossip, by honouring one another, etc. We want them then to talk about the five diverse ministries that are mentioned in Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and why we need those ministries in our church body. Then last week, we talked about speaking the truth in love. And we unpacked why that's such a problem, because some of us either favour the truth side, and the love is really, really a challenge. Or some of us favour the loving side. And speaking the truth is really, really a challenge. And yet God calls us to do both. So today I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read from there in a, in a moment. We strike this analogy of a church being a body, Now, that's actually strange if you've never heard of that before. I reckon if we did a survey of North Lakes this past week, we went around with a mic and a camera in the streets and said, when you think of a church, what do you think about? I could almost guarantee before conducting a survey that 100% of people are going to say a building. I've seen a church. And nobody's thinking a body when they think about a church. They're thinking a building. Almost 100% of people would say However, we have this metaphor in our scripture today in 1 Corinthians 12 about a body. And metaphors like this are not uncommon in our Bible. It has lots of these symbols actually for us that give us various insights into particular truths about how we should think about being a fully functioning New Testament church. There's an analogy of marriage in Revelation 21. And there it refers to the church being a bride of Christ. Now all the blokes in the room are a bit nervous at this point in time, thinking, what, I have to get the wedding dress on? No, 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 relax, relax. It's symbolic of the the intimacy that Jesus is welcoming us into in relationship with him. There's uh, other metaphors in the Bible, like the church being a flock, and it refers to us there being sheep, And like any sheep, therefore, we are prone to wander and go astray, and we need good shepherding in order to stay on track. So all these metaphors give us different pictures about how we are, the people of God. Today, a human body. It's the language of 1 Corinthians 12, where we'll be reading. And just as a physical body, when healthy, works in seamless motion, so too the church of God brings together their talents, their abilities, their passions in alignment To serve God, not in competition, but rather complementing one another. Serving amongst difference is what we're speaking of today in 1 Corinthians 12. As we think about working together then, church is far less like a cookie cutter and far more like a body. Sometimes we get kind of sucked into that cookie cutter cutter mentality. We think we all should just go out and think the same and look the same and do the same. But no, no, no. The Bible says no. No. It's not a cookie-cutter mentality. You don't think that mature Christians look like cookies spitting out the back of a machine. No, no, no. It's far more profound than that. It's far more diverse than that. It's these odd bods coming together (laughs) to make up something grand that works together in unity. 1 Corinthians 12, and reading from verse 14 today. 1 Corinthians 12 Reading from verse 14, yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Imagine that, just this gigantic eye comes rolling into the building today. It'd be pretty freaky, wouldn't it, when you stop to think about it? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it to be. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honourable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together. Such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Why? Because this makes for harmony among the members. So that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is part of it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Whilst God has a plan for our life, so does our enemy. And his plan is that we have a distorted identity. We have an enemy who's an active player opposing everything that's godly. And it seems to me if he could just take one thing from us, he would take away our identity. He would have us questioning who we are and whose we are and even what we are, just questioning constantly everything that relates to our worth and our identity. He wants us to live under a cloud, doubting even if life is worth living. I wonder if some of you are there today. Is my life even worth it? If he can't complete his mission of finishing us off altogether, because that is his mission, to steal, kill and destroy, if he can't get us there, he'll at least be happy to rob us of our joy. That is found in a which we've been singing about this morning. And not only will this mess up our own private headspace, it'll make us awkward friends. If you're constantly going into every relational interaction, just questioning who you are and where you fit, it, it, you're awkward company. Because a starting point to actually work in community is accepting yourself. So we become miserable company, and it affects our capacity to work. In the body. On the other hand, one of the greatest gifts as we give our life over to Christ and say, "Here I am, Lord, I'm yours," is He gives us that sense of identity, that sense of value, that sense of worth. We understand that hey, I have a purpose to live now, because of Jesus Christ. It's like the lights come on. We sang that first song this morning. I come out of the grave. It's like whoa! I can really see things for the first time. I can see the color in which God has made the world. Getting that reality clear that I've made in the image of God on purpose, for a purpose, is a revolutionary experience. It's just, it's just so amazing. If that hasn't happened for you yet, don't leave here without having that happen today. Let's face it though, there's a great danger for us just to wander through life, asleep, missing altogether that God wants us to do great things in community, in team with others. Because the enemy fights this every single step of the way. he's a two-fold strategy, which we actually read about in our reading. We're going to unpack today. It's a plain and simple plan, and yet it's so, so effective. His plan is to get us in insecurity or pride. One ditch or the other. That side of the road stuck in a rut, otherwise way over. Here. We just read about them in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll get there in just a sec. Satan wants you sulking in the corner, believing you're a nobody, singing that song, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. <laughs> and if he can't get you there, if he can't get you trapped over that side, he'll get you over this side where you begin thinking you're the answer to all the world's problems. Just ask. Neither side leads us into the spirit-led freedom that God wants us to operate in. So first, the dysfunction of insecurity. We read about it in verse 15. It's the poor me focus. Because I am not. Because I am not an eye. Because I'm not an ear. Because I'm not a hand. It's us focusing on what we are not. And it leads us playing small and believing everybody else is bigger. You matter and I don't. This is the point where we undervalue our contribution to the body. Both dysfunctions actually spring up out of comparison. It's always unhelpful comparison. You always find someone better off or worse off. In this case, you found someone better off. It's the upward comparison. It's looking around and finding someone that seems better off than you. And we get infatuated with this language, because I am not... You up there, me down here. I'm intimidated by your gift, by your part, by your role. We see it teased out in verse 15. It's the foot looking at the hand, envious of their position. They have a superior part in the body. And I think today, as you engage with this thought about the foot complaining about its place, I think you should have a bit of pity for the foot because he doesn't get much attention down there does he i mean we often touch hands we shake each other's hands at times we give five you know we we touch hands married couples will hold each other's hands in church but if someone comes today and wants to touch your foot <laughs> you're allowed to say please stop that's <laughs> abnormal the poor old footy gets overlooked, doesn't he? Has to deal with odour down there and all sorts of things. Not very prominent. Undervalued, underappreciated, unnoticed, underrated, underfoot. The foot has a tough gig, bearing all the weight of your body. Compared to the hands, it's, it's a tough life down there. Such a low, lowly place, isn't it? He's, he's really on the lowest rung. Sometimes we struggle to think we're even a foot. No doubt some of you in the room are going, "John, I appreciate that you're trying to encourage me today, but actually I think little toe might be all that you could use to describe my contribution in this body. Okay, has anybody got a hammer? (laughs) We we just smashed off a little toe from someone's foot this morning. Oh, no volunteers. To have their little toes smashed off with a hammer. When you put it like that, you begin to realise, oh, wow, every part of the body actually matters, right? Even feet, even little toes. Verse 16, the ear moans about the eye. Again, a lack of prominence. Communally, again, we, we make comments about people's eyes. Someone's got nice eyes, they've got kind eyes. We have all these cute phrases, you smile with your eyes. What about the ears? (laughs) Again, someone comes to you after church today and says, you've got lovely ears. You'd be like, what are you talking about my ears for? It's weird. We get the insecurity that this passage is referring to, right? And you say, okay, John, I get it. Not sure you do. Not sure you do. Let me read again. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body... Because I'm not a hand. That does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would it make it any less part of the body? You know what we do 2,000 years on from them, when this scripture was written? We skim it and we go, Wonderful poetry, Paul. The Apostle Paul, the writer. It's clever, it's catchy, it's poetic. And we miss totally... This is describing real people. This is addressed to a real church experiencing real problems. This is Paul writing to correct the church at Corinth who were in an awful mess over this competitive spirit that was going on in their church. This is not hypothetical. This is not to sound cute. This is not poetry. This is addressing real problems with real people in a real church. People who'd slipped into this line of thinking, hook, line and sinker, feeling like they're nobodies wandering around the church community. They asked, what's the point? And they missed all together, every part, every person, every role matters. I find it fascinating how the scriptures lay out this argument, how the word unravels to us today. It does not say uh, that the... That the hand is undermining the foot. Look at who's undermining who. The foot rats itself out. It doesn't need help. It self-condemns. It's self-absorbed. It's focused on what it isn't instead of its God-ordained place. Because I am not. Because I am not. Notice where the entire focus is. On what I am not instead of what I am here is a person not requiring anyone to, to prick, put a hole in their tires. They're doing it all by themselves with their self-talk. Such a dangerous thing, hey? Beware the poor me, trap, church. Beware the comparison upwards. Beware of looking around and deciding that you've found someone more gifted than you, so therefore, you don't matter. A moment of vulnerability. In the lead-up to me visiting here in August, I listened to many, many sermons of your previous pastor because I wanted to know if there was an alignment for me between you as a church and me. And it turns out there was or I wouldn't be here today. (laughs) But here's what happened as I listened to sermon after sermon. I got intimidated by his gift. He's an amazing speaker. He's a great communicator. And by the time I arrived, let me tell you, I was in this negative headspace where how can I compete with him? This is not a cry for help. The Lord's done a number on me. (laughs) I'm not competing with him. I'm called to be Jonah. No, I'm not called to be Joel. If the Lord still wanted Joel here, Joel would still be here. We don't want Joel. We want <laughs> God appoints the times and the seasons, God appoints the roles, God appoints people in the body as He sees fit. Who am I to question that? My calling is to bring my whole self to whatever God's call is. And and you need to forget and I need to forget how that compares to the person who did it last week or the person who will do it next week or the person who went before or after you. And we need to be obedient in the moment and bring ourselves fully to that, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and that will be enough. That will be enough. Let's do away with, uh, because I'm not rubbish. Because it's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's keeping some of us living small. Because I'm not. Because I'm not. Because I don't compare to the church down the road. Or because I'm not as gifted as that person over there. No, no, no. Be you. And that's enough. That's enough. The father of lies will come along though. You might settle that today. Monday morning. The whisper begins. You're not good enough you 're not experienced enough you 're not gifted enough you 're not extroverted enough you 're not popular enough you feel in the blank you 're not whatever it is for you. he knows your hot spots he knows the areas that he can the poke at that that really have you going flat and our response needs to be you 're exactly right i 'm not enough in my own strength i 'm nothing, but with god 's help, I am enough I am What I am in God, and that is enough. I have a God-appointed role in the body for such a time as this, and I'm taking it, right? We need to move quick now. There's another lie we need to overcome. As I said earlier, if, if the enemy can't get us on this side of the road, he'll get us over here. He'll get us over here. If he can't get us in insecurity, he'll inflate our ego and try and draw us into Pride. So first it was insecurity, now it was pride. Verse 21 I I don't need you. I don't need you. My place in the body is so prominent that compared to you, you're somewhere way down there, and you're a nobody compared to me. It's the comparison down. It's when I play big and you play small. I'm not just a cog in the wheel called Axis, I'm it. I'm it. Don't worry about access point. Come see me. (laughs) What a lie. What a lie from the pit of hell where where I begin to think, I I don't need anybody else. I'm it. God's put it all right here. No, no, no. We ought to take note, friends, and we ought to be terrified of pride. Because the Bible says what it does, it sets us up as an enemy of God. Pride plays out, in this case, in 1 Corinthians 12, with this lie of self-sufficiency. I don't need the body. I'll be fine all by myself. Pride would have us believing that we, we are needed by others, but we are okay alone. We are okay all by ourselves. The lie of pride is, I don't need accountability. I'm the gifted one. I'm the star around here. The rest of the body, though, rejects a proud member. Have you noticed? The rest of the bride, the body goes, when a proud member comes along, because pride is like body odour. Everyone else can smell it except you. <laughs> so let's hear the word of the Lord today. The eye can never say to the hands, I don't need you. The head can never say to the foot, I don't need you. Some of you might say, it's too late, John. I'm already there. I'm already at that point where I'm believing that I actually don't need anybody else. Well, one option is, if you're a five-talent person, to use the language of Jesus, where he said, some of us have got five talents, some of us have got three talents, some of us only got one. And some proud people, the way they, they... condition the environment to suit their pride, they just make sure they're always in a room with inferior people. So if they're a five-talent person, just make sure everybody else is a 3 and one on your team so that you never get challenged, you never have to feel you know, threatened by others gifting. Keep people below you so that you don't lose your sense of importance. Apparently not a good option. That's a perspective built on a lie. None of us are good at everything. God has designed it as such. He put us together in the body with the full intention that some of us would be great in some areas and struggle in others. And that's why God put the body together so we make up for one another. It's a setup. It's a setup. You're not supposed to be good at everything, you're supposed to be reliant on the body. We are wired for interconnection. An ear is no good at being an eye, and vice versa. And I is not good at being an ear. And this is the plan of God. He's designed it so we depend on one another. And we don't live in this competitive environment of who's better than who. Rather a humble one, recognizing the value of the other parts in the body. So as we think about uh, the best mentality going forward, we have it here. We have... The poor me focus, we have the pride focus. And the godly focus in this passage is practice honour towards one another, especially for the body parts that are unseen. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least, as Scripture tells us today, are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable, are the ones we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honourable parts do not require this special care, God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. You do realise the most critical parts of the body are not the ones we've spoken of so far. It's not your foot or your hand. It's not your eye or your ear even. They're all important. But the most critical parts of your body are the unseen. The heart, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the intestines, and so on. It's parts that we never notice about one another, but without them we die. Same in the body of Christ. This is what God is telling us. Take special note of the quiet. Take special note of the unseen. And bring that to the surface. This uh, should serve as a pre-alarm for those of you who think your contribution is overlooked and be tempted to say, oh, well, my part doesn't matter. It wouldn't no-, no one would notice whether I was there or not. The body would function fine without me. Hang on, be careful. The unpresentable parts are valued in the sight of God. And we guard against unhelpful disconnects between what happens here on Sunday on the platform and what happens at Westfield in a cafe tomorrow when someone is sitting down with another to encourage them in God. Does that matter? Absolutely. Does this matter? Yes. But does that matter just as much? Yes. Because God says here that the unpresentable parts he pours special honour on. And Jesus warned us that at the judgment, the first will be last. And so these people we notice on earth now, hey, think right here. And these people that sit at the back of our churches that we hardly notice right now, they are going to be the champions of heaven. The scripture tells us that over and over and over again. So let's flip all this on its head and say we are going to honour one another. And especially with those areas that we could tend to overlook, we will give special honour to those. If you think that's you, you're just a kitchen helper, a floor sweeper, a bringer-inner, a packer-upper, you are honoured in the sight of God. That's what this scripture says. It doesn't say that the church should do it. It says God already does it. He he pours special honour out on those parts. So friends, it's not the platform that legitimises ministry. If we go on into chapter 13, we haven't got time this morning. We would find humble love legitimizes Christian ministry. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, love. That's what legitimizes our part in the body. That's what legitimizes whether something is ministry or not. So our scripture today brings us towards this big warning in terms of working together. On the one hand, no insecurity. We're done with that. We're shaking those lies off to say we, we, we are no, nothing compared to the next person. But it also warns us against trying to take up a, a centrepiece place and, and make ourselves be known because pride isn't the answer to insecurity. No, honouring one another. Because if I honour you and you honour me, guess what? Everybody's needs are taken care of, yeah? Because we are honouring one another and so we are lifting each other up and so... Our appreciation is being shown. As the music team comes, I'd like to lead you in prayer this morning. So would you stand for that? And it's time to renounce pride and insecurity before God today. They're both sins in the sight of God because we're not practising the the song that we sung this morning. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. We sing it and then we, with our very actions, deny it. And so, God, we throw off insecurity today. We ask that you would forgive us for the times we've wallowed in self-pity. And we've compared ourselves in an unhealthy way with others and believe the lie that we are somehow less valuable than they. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for the times we've wished you'd made us something other than what we are. God, in you, we are enough. We accept what you say about us. We accept our gifts. And we believe that you have formed us as creations of the Most High God. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the times we have grown proud, the times we have undervalued the importance of connection, the times we have thought of ourselves with this strange inclination that somehow we're more important than the next person. God, humble us. God, forgive us. God, drive from us a spirit of independence where it's unhealthy, where where we won't accept help. Help us be honest. Help us know our place in the body. And Lord, today we commit to honour one another. This is our posture. We begin this year, 2020, with this as our foundation, to esteem others better than ourselves, to know that that you have placed us in the body and it's a body that we love and appreciate and honour. And so, God, we commit ourselves to growing in, in, in understanding, in uplifting one another, in honouring one another, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher, that you would teach us how to see, how to notice, how to affirm, how to bless, how to appreciate. God, thank you that you have a special place in your family for every single person in this room. And we reject today the lies that would try and have us living out less than that. And we commit to your truth, God. In Jesus' name.